The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. We are going to have a great show this afternoon. I actually have a studio full of women, which makes me very happy. A lot of times I'm here alone waiting for a phone call. So uh, I have uh, two women in the studio with us. The the first is our very own in-house financial contributor, Jocelyn Ewart, the founding partner of Entrust Financial. And waiting in the wings is Maria Black. Maria is president of ADP Total Source, uh, which is the largest professional employer organization in the U.S. with more than 400,000 employees. Uh, Before we get started, a couple quick show notes. I want to ask you all to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and now Instagram at Women to Watch Media to follow the latest and greatest that's going on with the show. And be sure to check out our website if you miss our live program, you can catch our podcast at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So we're going to start off uh, with Jocelyn this afternoon, and I'm excited to talk about her topic of the importance of teaching children about money, something I think is really important. Yeah, and you and I have had a conversation about that in the past, Susan. Uh, Children, as you've mentioned, learn a lot about math, but they don't necessarily translate that into making good financial decisions. Right, yeah. Um, And what comes to my mind is that as parents, we're always looking for ways to provide our children with opportunities for growth. But as we just mentioned, one area for growth that children really can benefit from um, as children and throughout their lives is learning about money. What do they need to know so that they can make good financial decisions? Last month, our financial discussion was all about how to earmark and save money for our families, all-important travel and vacation funding. Today, I want to share with listeners a framework that we at Entrust have formulated that helps children know what to do with their money. To begin with, I'm really thrilled to report that this particular issue is on the minds of our clients. In fact, my partner Mackenzie and I are frequently asked, how can I teach my children or grandchildren about money? So we developed a three-part framework in response to this question. In our experience, to manage money well, children need to focus on learning to save, share, and spend. Yes, we have discovered that even spending uh, requires some skill. Let me give you an example. Younger children might receive money as a gift. Teenagers might be gifted money and also be earning money. In either case, our framework starts with having a conversation about how much of the money that a child has received should be saved. We have found it effective to begin the save conversation 
by identifying something concrete that your child wants to save for. This is important. Note that I said the dialogue begins with what your child wants to save for. Teaching children or grandchildren how to manage money is likely to be successful if the child's input is valued and considered as important as that of the parent or grandparent. Let's use saving for a bicycle as an illustration. I'm suspecting that all of your listeners know that one can purchase uh, a very inexpensive bicycle all the way to purchasing a super high-priced bicycle. You will learn a lot about how your child thinks about money as you have a discussion regarding, in this case, bicycle illustration, what model interests your daughter or son. Even if she or he has already been talking about what they want, when you have your saving money conversation, have a paper and pencil ready and have your child write down the numbers, including taxes, for the preferred purchase. Then compare the cost of the preferred model to the cost of two other models of bicycles. It's important for your child to see the differences in writing and on paper. Now you're ready to segue into introducing the money framework to your child. To be a good steward of their money, let your daughter or son know they need to make good decisions about saving, sharing, and spending. Continue the conversation by eliciting their ideas about how much of their money might be saved, how much they might decide to share, and make a note of what would be left over then for them to spend. If you discover you need to make this dialogue about what proportion of money might be directed to each arena more concrete, especially for younger children, I've found the following to be helpful. Stack on the table four quarters in front of your child. Ask your child to divide them into three categories the three categories of the money framework, save, share, spend. The child's choice of what proportion of these quarters they want to earmark for each of these categories can then be applied to the money that they have in their account. A footnote regarding the use of quarters. It's very interesting to watch the decisions children make. They will often set aside two of those four quarters in the save category one quarter to share and earmark the remaining one in their spending category. If this happens, it's really easy to suggest that regarding money earmarked for saving, part of it can be for long-term saving goals and part can be for short. So I'd like to recap for a minute. When you're teaching your child or grandchild about money, first, it's important to be concrete and ask what they want to save for. Second, it's important for them to have a framework to help them think about what they want to do with their money. And third, they need to decide what proportion of their money to save, share, and spend. I also mentioned writing down the numbers. As you work with your child on financial decision-making, she or he needs to keep a record of a number of different things. They need to write down what money they have. They need to write down 
what is earmarked for saving, as well as the costs for their specific long-term and short-term savings goals. They need to write down how much money they've earmarked for sharing. Sometimes we get asked, what does that mean to have a, a category that's sharing? So here are some examples. Sharing money might be used for personal gifts the child wants to give. It might be used to contribute to a favorite interest, such as the local zoo, especially younger children who love visiting the zoo. It might be a contribution to an organization for which the child, especially teenagers, also volunteer, such as Habitat for Humanity. So what remains on that list of what your child is making a record of is their spending money. In addition to writing down the value of what they plan to spend, the other important thing is to keep a precise accounting of how much they do ultimately spend and what it is spent for. Now, we have just a few minutes here for these introductory suggestions. Uh, this topic, as you can well imagine, has many, many facets. I would love to hear from your listeners about their experiences teaching their children what to do with money and thereby helping them develop a sense of financial responsibility. So I encourage your listeners to call into the show with their thoughts or contact me, info at entrustfinancial.com. And I really want to congratulate all your listeners who have tackled this important subject successfully. Your children and grandchildren are indeed fortunate. It, that's a wonderful um, topic, Jocelyn, and I'll be asking Maria. I know that Maria has a six-year-old and a 14-year-old. So I, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in is um, allowance. You know, when we t we're talking about sharing, saving, and spending money, where does this money come from when it's a child? I think it's, it's a topic that, you know, um, is of good interest to determine whether what age, I guess, should children be given an allowance before we start helping them manage it. Um, and maybe we can talk about that on another show. Well, and that's a really interesting example because it's really all over the map what families choose to do in terms of how children have access to money. Right, exactly. It's very personal. It is, it is. Yep. Thank you, as always, for joining us this afternoon. Good to be here. We'll talk to you next month. Sounds good. That's it, everyone, for, for Jocelyn's segment on uh, Money Matters um, and Women. And I am thrilled now to introduce our special guest this afternoon. Again, her name is Maria Black. Maria is the president of ADP Total Source. Uh, and ADP is the largest professional employer organization in the United States with over 400,000 employees. That's a big job. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Susan. Uh, I, I really appreciate your coming in. You're not local, and you're kind of making a pit stop on your way to New Jersey. I sure am. Happy yeah. to be here. Good. Uh, I'd love to start with your, your background and uh, let the listeners know that you were actually born in Sweden and, and spent the first eight years there. Um, tell me about what your life was like in Sweden, a little bit about your childhood and your family. Yeah, so I, um, correct, I was born in uh, Sweden and spent the first eight years there. Uh, life there was amazing. It's a uh, beautiful country. Uh, our family was there. I was surrounded by um, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles and great-grandparents and just a, a very loving um, first eight years um, over there. And, and how about mom and dad? What did they do? Mom and dad, so my mom um, had various jobs growing up, um, both in Sweden and then when, when we moved to the U.S., uh, spent time um, 
as an assistant, uh, as well as actually taught Swedish once we moved to, uh, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. She taught Swedish at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, she also was on the uh, leadership team uh, when IKEA actually first opened in Pittsburgh. So uh, uh, she's had a, a long career of various, uh, various roles, primarily in retail. Uh, my father is a metallurgist by trade. And uh, when we were over in Sweden, he was working for a metals distributor and had the opportunity to bring uh, the family over to the U.S. Uh, with that organization. And so we came over uh, with his career uh, in 1982. Okay. So at eight years old, moving to a completely different country. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> That's not easy. It was. A, how um, did you manage it? Yeah, it was an adventure. You know, my parents uh, tell stories about how I, I suppose initially I didn't even want to get on the airplane. I was determined to take a boat over, which is funny to reflect <laughs> on. I have a six-year-old now, so I can only imagine how a... Uh, Stubborn I was at the time, but I did take the plane over, and I, I did did move, as mentioned, in 1982. And so, if you were to think back to the the early 80s, um, you know, I, I I moved to this country. I actually didn't speak any English. I spent that summer. We moved right around the Fourth of July. I think we moved actually the uh, the third of July, and uh, um, got here. Was overwhelmed by the patriotism in in America. Um, was also trying to figure out how to learn the language. And so I watched a lot of Dallas because Sweden was a couple years behind, and that's kind of how I learned um, a bit, enough to uh, to show up the first day of school. So I got on a big yellow school bus and showed up with my Swedish-English dictionary, this tiny little brown book. And um, that's kind of how the, the journey in America started for me. But um, I think for me, it, it, it taught me a lot, right? It taught me a lot about uh, being different. It taught me a lot about diversity, uh, the ability to embrace that. I think I also got, at a very early age, very comfortable being uncomfortable. So that's a thing that a lot of people say today, right, that be comfortable and uncomfortable. I'd almost say I'm at a point where I, I somewhat seek it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I really think that that comes uh, from those formidable years. Yeah, I had read that you, you mentioned that the, the actual move, the, the, the decision from mom and dad to go to a completely different country and start over um, in a career really has shaped your drive to succeed. And I, I wonder... Was it more of a challenge for you and something you found exciting rather than intimidating? I think I think as a family it was it was incredibly exciting and we um, we really came for the American dream right so we came for the access to broader education to limitless opportunity and so I think for me uh, what the move has taught me or taught me at a very young age is, is a few things the first being uh, just to honor tradition and so my family as we moved over here we were very um, we were t very tight as a group, but moreover, we also took the time to really honor our Swedish traditions. We always spoke Swedish in the home. Uh, my family was very keen on ensuring that the Christmases were celebrated in the Swedish way, and we were obviously going back and forth a bit um, all throughout my upbringing. Uh, but at the same time, I was also very cognizant that we were here for a purpose, and my father was pursuing uh, his, his dreams, and I think uh, I have an older brother, and I think we both – um, started pursuing our goals in terms of, again, trying to strive for higher education and ultimately uh, limitless opportunity. And so I think it kind of, we honor both where we came from, but we also honor uh, the purpose of why we're here. Yeah, that's wonderful. You um, you went on to the University of Colorado. How did you choose that school? So we actually, uh, we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, about halfway through my high school years. Uh, the family relocated once again to, uh, to Colorado, so I finished high school in uh, Evergreen, Colorado, and uh, ultimately made the choice to go to the University of Colorado in Boulder. Uh, and so I, I studied international affairs and political science there, but you know, I really ended up there as by virtue of 
ending high school, I suppose, in Colorado. Okay. I, actually, I want to take a step back for a second. I, I, I know you have a blog, and I've read some of your yes. entries. <laughs> and you've spoken about your daughter and her uh, soccer um, yes. soccer playing. And, you know, one of the things I think about when we talk about young women and, and things that really kind of help build their self-esteem and confidence is athletics. Did you play sports in high school? I did. So certainly not at the level that my daughter plays, um, but I did uh, play softball. Uh, I also ran track for a very brief period of time, but I did play team sports just like she does. And what kind of um, high school did you go to? Was it an all-girls academy or was it a public co-ed? It was a public co-ed, public school. Okay. Um, Growing up and and during those high school years, um, tell me what what mom and dad spoke to you about when it comes to confidence and self-esteem and being a young woman. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the things that come to mind when I think about amazing um, advice. Now, the first I would say is that I had um, great, uh, they had great influence in just watching what my parents did, right? So my father worked very hard. Back in those days, you you didn't necessarily bounce to a country for 24 hours at a time for a meeting. And, and really, so as, as he was in his uh, career, he would actually go over to Europe, for example, for two, three weeks at a time. And so, you know, he worked very hard, which also meant my mom was working very hard, both um, in her career as well as managing the household. And so I saw, you know, just great leaders for me to uh, to aspire to be just in terms of uh, what I actually witnessed, right? And then in terms of the advice that they gave me growing up, um, I would tell you that, you know, my parents... Um, Definitely encourage both my brother and myself to, to work hard and to uh, to ensure that we did our best, right? So the answer that or the question that I remember them posing to me all the time was like, "Did you try your very best?" And as long as the answer to that is is yes, then they were okay with whatever the the, the results or the the circumstance was. Um, I think they taught me a lot too, and you know I. Like anybody else, you go through those middle school years and high school years, um, but they definitely taught me uh, the value of you know things about right and wrong, and um, a lot of the same messages that I'm trying to you know specifically with my 14 year old ensure that I uh, relay to her in terms of who she chooses to be. And um, they're very formidable years right now for her as she enters into high school. And what kind of friend does she want to be? What kind of athlete does she want to be? What kind of student? And these are um, foundational foundational to me in terms of ultimately what kind of adult that she will become. And a lot of those things I learned from my parents as, as I was growing up. Yeah. I think it's kids today certainly have different opportunities. When I say we had, I'm older than you, but, you know, generationally um, there are – different types of messaging out there for young women that I think we didn't have when we were growing up. And it's a good thing. So if you're not getting it maybe at home, you're getting it from your community and from different organizations. Um, You actually, you joined ADP in 1996 as a sales associate. So from what I can read and gather, you've really steadily worked your way up that corporate ladder with this particular company. Was that something you had planned out to do, um, or did it kind of happen organically for you? Yeah, so I, I wish I could say that 20 years ago I was wise enough to know that I would be sitting in the, the role that I'm in today, and that, that isn't the case. So I, I started with ADP going on 20 years now as a, a sales associate, and so you know, I chuckle because you have to think this was back pre-technology. So I literally started selling, selling payroll door-to-door, uh, pre-iPhones, pre nav systems. Um, 
And so that, that's how I uh, embarked. I, um, I'd had you know, some sales jobs through high school and a little bit in college, so I knew enough about sales um, to know that you know, it was worth giving it a shot. Um, I didn't necessarily embark on you know, thinking that I'd end up as a, a president of a business unit and a corporate officer. Uh, that said, though, I definitely entered my sales career knowing that if you worked hard, um, you would get rewarded. And that's certainly sales is that the ultimate job of that, of that kind. But I think it again goes back to that concept of limitless opportunity. And if you put in your best and you put in your all, um, the reward shall come and not that everything works that way. Um, but I've, you know, always been a believer in the harder you work, the luckier you get. And so I think along the way, I, uh, you know, I've taken many, many roles in that 20 years throughout ADP and sales, sales leadership, service and implementation, uh, ultimately as a general manager. So I've really seen uh, the business end to end. Um, I say I, I learned it from the ground up, literally, because I was on the ground right, uh, right. selling payroll. But I see it, you know, really from where the, the client meets the associate, from where the, the prospect meets the sale person, salesperson. And that's really, um, you know, how I look at the business today as I've kind of moved from role to role. I guess that is, has been um, very key, the fact that you started out in sales and really working from the ground up, really knowing what's going on out there in the field with customers yes. is huge to, to keep with you as a leader. Tell me what your philosophy is for motivating your team. What, what are some of the key points that you remind yourself of when you're trying to get the people that are working for you to really be um, working at their highest level? Yeah, so I think for me um – I have a lot of thoughts uh, about this, Susan, as it relates to um, what it what it has to be about, right? So for me personally, and I think for most most people, uh, whatever they're doing, whether it's playing soccer or it's um, dancing or it's your career, it has to be about something, right? It has to be for a higher purpose um, than just you know turning the pages uh, of daily life, if if you will, and so. I think what I try to uh, to really instill in the associates that work with me uh, is this this power of understanding of what we're trying to do, right? So I'm a big believer in uh, people coming together to do great things and the ability to innovate and transform a business, uh, but they have to understand why, right? What is it that they're fighting for? What is it that they're taking um, – you know, whatever whatever challenges come their way as they're navigating those challenges, uh, to me it has to be about something bigger uh, than just, again, you know, showing up, clocking in, getting your paycheck, and, and going back home. And by the way, those those what, what it's for, the purpose, doesn't always have to be career-minded or to do with a job. It can also be whatever that purpose is um, personally for that individual. So that's really what I try to do to motivate my associates is figure out what is our, our rally, right? What is it that we're trying – um, to get to where are we trying to go and, and what is it about. So Yeah, so, because at the end of the day, ADP is, is, is HR, right? Yes. And, and, um, but if you look at the full scope and the, and the big picture, how are you helping uh, the, the clients? I guess there's always a way to kind of backtrack and get to where we're really helping a business, um, whether it's a small business or a medium-sized business. Yeah, and, and so it's interesting uh, for ADP. So you're right, it's HR, and we are in the uh, the human capital business, right? Our human mm -hmm. uh, resources, and and so when it is about people, um, the most impactful thing is that the the folks that work for ADP that touch our clients and interact uh, through products or services directly with our clients, what they're trying to drive 
is also enabling those clients to really build their own legacy as it relates to how they support their associates, right? So a lot of the products that we provide in the case of human capital management, whether that's payroll processing, which getting paid is a, a pretty big piece of why people work, uh, or providing benefits, it's really about that ability to uh, to help those clients ultimately become better employers and providing um, better offerings for their associates. One of the things I read uh, about uh, you was a piece that you did on the word grit. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I loved it for multiple reasons, and it, and it stemmed from your daughter breaking her nose in a soccer game. That she did. Correct? Yes. Um, <laughs> and you listed a couple of things that really, um, you know, and of course she showed grit in that moment and in that game. And, and I love that because I think, you know, girls that can be tough and still be girls, you know, that's that's always um, a, a balance, right? Yes. Um, but it's, it's such a gift to be able to do that. And when you were describing grit, one of the things – you know, you kind of parlayed it to um, things that you think about in the workforce. Um, and you said having grit means listening to others, number one. Listen to yourself. Stop multitasking and be present. That's my favorite because I think as a culture, as a, as a country, we get caught up in that every day, all day long. Because there is so much to do, we kind of are bouncing around. And what I have learned even for myself is when I really force myself to stop and slow down and focus on one thing at a time, I do it so much better. Tell me what that really means to you to to kind of be present. Yeah, so um, it's interesting. I, I actually... I have, a, I have a lot of thoughts around um, being present, and specifically the word present for me is, um, is pretty deep. So one of the early town halls that I did in the current role that I'm in, uh, I was asked by an associate in the audience, you know, can you, if you had to use one word to describe yourself, what would that word be? And top of mind at the time, um, I'd never thought it before or necessarily had it come out of, out of my mouth, um, but the word present um, came out of my mouth. And so I, I really believe in this, and I think it's ever more important uh, in today's environment when I think about uh, whether it's today's 14-year-old or today's uh, worker and all the different streams of information coming and all of the different tools and tasks that, that people are trying to juggle. But this concept of really being present and being um, conscious of mind and choosing to show up. And so I think for me as a leader juggling uh, a lot of different different things, this concept of present is, is really important because whether I'm on the sidelines watching my daughter play or I am uh, in kindergarten as the mystery reader reading to my son's uh, kindergarten class or I'm in a board meeting, being present in that moment um, is really a commitment that I try to work on and make every single day. And it's not easy because we it's do not. have so many things. And when I think about the things that this next generation will really be challenged with, it really, Susan, it is this ability to, to weed through all the different, call it media, if you will, um, that is coming at them and really being able to um, weed through it, focus, and choosing, because it is a choice, and uh, choosing to be present. And prioritizing. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. I think that's one of the most important things, because again, so all of these things are coming at us, so you have to really figure out which is the most important for me at this moment to it pay is. attention to. It is. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not an easy practice, right? Present is, um, it's easy to say. It's funny, I, I've had this conversation with a lot of different people, a lot of different associates, and it's not an 
easy thing to choose to show up. It's it's much easier said than done. Uh, but in that blog that I had written about um, about grit, it was really this correlation between grit and mindfulness, and just taking small steps um, to to practice mindfulness is what, in my mind, um, ultimately will cultivate resilience, but al- also cultivate grit, right? And, um, you know, the, the, the questions I get is, gosh, you know, if I have all these phone calls coming at me, how do I, how do I stop and be mindful? And frankly, you know, it's baby steps, right? So even three minutes to listen to your favorite song or 30 seconds to walk around the building or going for a run in the morning or a dance in the evening, whatever it is that ultimately clears your mind and allows you to, um, be present, um, inserting that into your daily routine is, again, you know, a piece of the, the commitment to, uh, to that. Yeah, and I think we can do that without, you know, going full on in, taking time throughout our week to, um, you know, go participate in meditation. Sure, exactly. <laughs> because, it doesn't have yeah, to be that contrived, right? It doesn't have right? to be that. It's just a, reminding yourself. Um, we talked about, you know, being comfortable in the uncomfortable. I think that's a great piece of advice because guess what? Every day we have moments of being uncomfortable. Yes. Tell me what um, perseverance, developing perseverance, Perseverance. How do you do that, and, and why is that important to you? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, perseverance uh, kind of goes along the lines of, of endurance to me, and so it's, it's strength of mind. It's strength, again, you know, kind of tying back to this mindfulness concept. I think for me personally, uh, in terms of perseverance, um, you know, I think about things that I do, and so I, I, I do try to, uh, to run in the morning. I, I make a commitment that I drop my son at the bus, and then I, if I'm in town, I, uh, I go for a quick run. I see the, the sunrise, and I try to, to really you know, reset my day uh, from a mindful perspective. Uh, but ultimately, you know, to me, um, perseverance is also about goal setting, right? It's about setting your sights on where you want to go and then having a, the grit, the resilience, uh, the drive, and the mindfulness to try to get from whatever point you're at to where those goals are. And I think doing that in a repeated pattern, uh, so really doing that ultimately is what allows you to develop uh, perseverance. And so I think, you know, it doesn't, again, just like mindfulness, it doesn't mean that you have to practice yoga, uh, which I don't do, by the way, because um, <laughs> yoga makes me laugh um, at me because I am not good at it. Uh, so I don't practice yoga. It doesn't have to be that contrived, even, you know, setting goals, um, however minor they are, and checking them off is, again, like training your mind and training your your being to uh, to develop very key attributes in my mind as it as it relates to, to life, but also certainly to leadership. Yeah, and, and helping us get better at it day yeah. to day. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk to you about you do a lot of traveling. And in this climate, it can be a little nerve-wracking. I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, fear, anxiety, and how you manage that with sure. your, the work that you do. We'll be right back. Okay. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com mammogram. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I'm joined this afternoon by Maria Black, uh, president of ADP Total Source. And we are uh, talking in the end of the first part of the show a little bit about Maria and her philosophy as a leader and, and where she came from. One of the things I just mentioned to Maria at the break was she does a lot of traveling. She just flew in from Atlanta. She's making a pit stop in Philadelphia, and then she's on to New Jersey. Um, as she was saying that to me, I was feeling a little anxious because <laughs> um, it's hard. And especially today, travel is geez, it's not as easy as it used to be. Um, and, and certainly, you know, in light of what happened over the weekend, there's always this reminder for all of us about um, how unsafe we can sometimes be. So the question I had for you is, how do you manage fear? And when I ask you that, I, I really am talking about those moments of, in your career, um, things that you have to do where the, it might be an anxious situation um, or per, perhaps you're presenting and you're feeling a little bit of nerves. What is it that you do personally to, to help you get through those, those tough moments? Yeah, so I think, um, and we were talking a bit before the break about mindfulness, and, and so I, I won't um, belabor that point, but I do think that's a key um, contributor to how to manage fear, right, the ability to... Um, to, to power through things. And so I think for me, and, and certainly travel or any, any other things that make us anxious, whether it's world events or um, hopping on planes, um, I am a big believer in, a, in fate and things happening for a reason uh, from a standpoint of, um, you know, travel and, and my, own, my own life. Uh, but that said, you know, it really comes to whatever your, your own self-speak is, right? And so I think for me, as I sit there on a flight and I'm anxious or fearful of a meeting or whatever it might be, you know, having this, this strength, right, strength of will and strength um, mentally and, and grit um, that hopefully I, I try to continue to build um, through things like mindfulness um, can push me through. And I have little sayings that I'll tell myself, such as, you know, the, the, the first days are the hardest days and you can power through this and, you know, all the, all the things that we all share. I, I, I think outside of my own practices that um, I can talk myself, call it in, in an, into anything or out of anything, um, there are those times that, you know, that's not enough, right? And, and potentially fear and anxiety gets the better of me. And I think for me personally, where I consider myself just incredibly fortunate is that I have um, – I have a village, right? And so they always say it takes a village to, to raise a, a child. And I would tell you that I have, I have a village. I have a village of family, friends, colleagues, um, mentors, supporters that when I am struggling, whether, again, it's fear of a meeting that I'm walking into or it's anxiety of um, getting on that plane and, you know, not feeling like it, um, ultimately – I call on my friends, right, and um, kind of have this saying that I use all the time with my daughter specifically, which is like, we got this, right, and I have kind of my we got this crew, 
and that's important to me. So I will tell you, you know, in all in all honesty, flying up here, I'm, I, I don't do this for a living. I'm not on the radio for a living. Uh, so I had a little bit of fear and anxiety today coming in here, and I reached out to, to some of my core friends, right, some of my best friends in the world, um, my parents, my family. Um, I, I, I'm active in a lot of women's networks. I reached out to one of my women's networks just to get the, like, you got this, right? And um, that's what I got. And I walked in here that much more confident and was able to uh, – I suppose, overcome the fear and anxiety and, and somehow end up on the radio today. Yeah. Well, I love that for a lot of reasons, but that's my daughter's phrase. We got this. Yeah, she says one. that all the time. We have a, a family, you know, a, a family group text. And yes. when, when someone's going through something, that's our that's our little that's phrase. We got this. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and certainly having people in our lives that remind us that we are capable and we have the knowledge. We've done these things before. Um, I think that's a really great uh, support system. Let me ask you this. Has there been a mentor, someone in your life that really stands out in the forefront that that said something to you that you remember and stays with you? Yeah, so I've had um, what I would call more a lot of different mentorship moments, right? And so I I don't look back and say, gosh, you know, I have this one person um, that has call it carried me throughout my career and, and really been that. I think it's been almost different people for different times. And so when I think about as a young, uh, a young girl and, um, you know, who did I want to grow up to be, quite frankly? And, and I actually last year uh, wrote her a letter uh, to explain all of this to her <laughs> many, many years later. Uh, but when I was 15 or 16, um, you know, my aunt, um, who at the time – uh, actually started as a, a PBX operator uh, for an organization and worked all, you know, wor- worked her way all the way up uh, into a very formidable role um, at a very large organization. And she was an inspiration to me. In fact, um, when I interviewed at ADP, I actually wore one of her hand-me-down suits. But I, I, I literally grew up wanting to be her um, just from a, a role model perspective. And I could see, again, like hard work pays off, right? And so um, that was a piece of it. And, and then, you know, for me, in terms of mentors, I've had a lot of influential conversations and folks um, along the way that have given me insights and information, like these little nuggets of, uh, of amazing advice um, that have kind of formed who I am today. Um, and some of those, those folks are, are, are still in my life and continue to, uh, to provide that mentorship today. Yeah, that's great. And it's wonderful to have a female role model that yes. way, a woman yes. who we say often on the show, we, you know, for young women, they can't be what they can't see. Yes. And we're seeing a lot of firsts for women today, which is really wonderful and exciting. Um, what, one of the things I read was a, a story, and I think you wrote about this as well in your blog, a family trip that you took to Normandy. Yes. And I know that um, uh, supporting veterans is, is something you're particularly interested in. And, and the first question I had was that before this trip, or did did that come about because of this trip? But you, you and your family went to Normandy to commemorate the 70th anniversary of D-Day. Yes. Um, and you took your kids, which I think is a great experience for them. Um, tell me why you have this particular interest in, in veterans, and what lesson did you want your kids to most take away from that trip? Yeah, so um, to answer the, the, the root of uh, – of my passion around veterans and, uh, and history at some level. So I, um, you know, certainly again, kind of my journey from Europe, uh, to here. Um, I also 
got my degree in political science and international affairs. So there was a lot of foundation there in history, specifically 20th century history. And so I've always been a bit of a history buff. Um, my husband's family, um, many of them have served and are, are veterans. And so I suppose when we, we came together, um, it kind of blended the, uh, the history buff with this, uh, this, you know, which I certainly share this love of country and love of, um, veterans and, and, and again, you know, back to the history piece. And so that's really what it's rooted in. Uh, we had the opportunity to spend a year living in England and while we were over there, we made a, a personal commitment as a family that we would take this opportunity to really educate the kids on, uh, specifically, uh, the events in the 20th century in Europe around, um, really the call it world war one through, through world war two. And so as my daughter played soccer over there, we had the opportunity to travel just to amazing places throughout Europe. Um, to, uh, to go to soccer fields and, you know, camping in Holland or Germany and a lot of uh, military bases. And again, visit a lot of um, different battlegrounds, uh, memorials, things of that nature. I think the, the final one that we did while we were living over there together uh, was the 70th um, anniversary of Normandy. And we actually did that uh, in conjunction with a, uh, an organization called the, the Greatest Generation Foundation, uh, which is really an organization anchored in taking veterans back to their battlegrounds uh, for, in my mind, um, two purposes. One is to, uh, to provide um, some semblance of remembrance and closure, uh, but also to ensure that their stories are, are, are told and are um, preserved uh, in perpetuity. And so I think for us, as we, we traveled over to Normandy, and, and by the way, our, our, our journeys continue. We just, uh, on the eve of the 72nd eve of D-Day on June 5th, we went to the uh, the 8th Air Force Museum in Pooler, Georgia, and so we continue to educate the children. And so for us, uh, what that is really about is, um, and it's funny because in, in my work today, thinking about human capital management, there's a lot that is written and a lot of discussion around all the the generations that are in the workforce, right? So the, the retiring uh, generation of the baby boomers and the generation Y and Z that are coming in and what the world of work will look like. And ADP does a lot of studies on this uh, going forward. But, you know, to be quite candid, the, the generation that interests me the most is that of the greatest generation, which is um, – you know, the generation that's not going to be here very much longer. And so for me, why we, why we took the kids over there and why we wanted them to spend time, and we actually volunteered as a family with this uh, organization, uh, taking back 28 World War II veterans. And, you know, my daughter was involved. My son, not so much. He was much younger back then. Uh, but we were really trying to educate them on how that generation thought or thinks and operate. And it's very different than any other generation. And that's, you know, all the generational differences. Uh, but this really, the, this, this concept of uh, kind of blending between innovation, courage, boldness, and quite frankly, just patriotism. Um, it's a very different way. And so I think for us, um, that was really the, the lesson that we were hoping to, to leave them with, which was seeking out those stories and understanding what that, you know, what it meant to uh, to invade the shores of Normandy or to be part of the uh, the Eighth Air Force, uh, knowing that you had a one in three chance of dying and ultimately signing up to volunteer for the the sake of patriotism. So, yeah, I would say back back then it really was more of it, that's that was the thing to do. 
right? It right. wasn't kind of um, a second thought. And, and I would say that, you know, today's generation is a little bit different in thinking about, um, well, I, there's plenty of studies that young kids today are the me generation, which right. because of, you know, technology and social media and everything, that's a whole other problem. But I think it's a great thing to point that out to your kids. And I would imagine your six-year-old son had a little different perspective than your 14-year-old daughter, um, but great lessons. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, one of the other roles that you, you have is as executive sponsor for ADP's Women in Leadership. Yes. And I really want to talk about what you're most proud of um, as far as ADP and what they're doing for uh, women's leadership initiatives. Yeah, so I, uh, for the last couple of years, I've served as the uh, executive sponsor for ADP's Women in Leadership um, programs. Uh, we actually have several. Um, and so in terms of uh, what we offer, we have a, an international women's organization. So we have business resource groups that, that also span other areas outside of women. But uh, for today's purposes, um, we have Again, an international uh, women's network. We have the women in leadership from a, um, a leadership executive uh, standpoint and kind of call it local uh, chapters throughout really the world at this point, uh, an aggregate group of women that are seeking, uh, whether it's um, insights like today, hopefully, or uh, it's programming and education and um, or, you know, potentially circles of these uh, the, these groups of women that can um start building their we got this uh, <laughs> kind of crew, right? So, right. you know, in terms of uh, what I'm the most proud of, I think um, I'm really proud of ADP's commitment in general to uh, business resource groups. We've come a long way in the last handful of years as it relates to bringing different groups together, um, bringing diversity together. By the way, we also have a, a veterans group. Um, and so in terms of the charter that we have um, it's really it's really twofold. One is internally continuing to drive and develop women. Um, the other is externally. So as we as mentioned, we are part of a human capital capital management company, and so really connecting uh, women leaders with ADPs, women leaders within our client base is also a big piece of uh, of what we're striving for. And so in the last couple of years, uh, we made great headway on that. Um, really engaging with our clients differently and engaging a, a broader aggregate group of women leaders to uh, collaborate and uh, support each other and provide thought leadership. Do, you know, I wondered if you had an opinion about what particular area do you think it is that's still holding women back? And when I say that, we have, you know, if you look at statistics, we sure. still have a long way to go. Um, we have a lot of organizations, networking groups, um, uh conferences and all of that, great, great, great things, yet there still seems to be um, a struggle. Do you have a personal opinion on why you think that is? What, what is it that really women struggle with the most? Um, and what would you like to focus on the initiatives with ADP? Is there one particular area you really want to focus on, whether it is mentorship or personal development or, you know, equal pay? Where is it that you find to be one of the most important areas to look at? Yeah, so I think um, probably about a year, maybe two years ago, I watched um, a TED Talk, and of course the woman's name is going to escape me, um, but it really was it, it was formidable for me in that uh, she outlined that the, the the challenge, and many women who are listening might remember this TED Talk, as it was it was out there circulating within women's groups for a long time, and it was um, it was really about the challenge within women leadership 
being rooted in that women are perceived to be less data and business um, called business case focused. And so, um, you know, when you think about all the strengths that women bring to the table, right? So, you know, we could go on and on probably for hours on the show about what those are. Uh, but many of those strengths are, are anchored in our ability to have tremendous emotional intelligence, be able to um, connect uh, with folks at a, a different level, uh, never mind the ability to multitask and all these different things. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing. But on the flip side of that, as it relates to presenting, call it business cases and data-grounded business cases, it was a perceived weakness. And, and I, I think in part it's because it's not always a female's natural first step, right? So, you know, kind of if you think of that, like are you a right, right foot or left foot, you know, push me from the back and whichever foot you fall on, that's whatever, you know, you're either right-handed or, or left-handed. My, my point being, as it relates to women, our first step, our first foot forward, isn't necessarily to argue in a data-grounded business case. And as a result of that, um, you know, at times we are we are not seen in that way or seen as a, a formidable contender in a cert, for a certain role because our first step may be more in again uh, grounded in our ability to. Uh, you know, provide um, a different picture, um, emotionally, you know, connect, connectivity, culture, together. collaboration. Right. And so, I, you know, again, the, the good news in all of that is it's something we can work on. It's something we can cultivate. It's uh, programming. Uh, in fact, when we ran our Women in Leadership event uh, about a year ago at ADP, um, we actually had our, our uh, CFO come in and present to us you know, what does that actually look like and, and, and teach what does it mean to put together a data-grounded um, business case and what, what, why is that important? <laughs> and, and so, again, that's not to say that because I'm definitely not – I'm for sure a believer in authenticity, so that's not to say that we should throw out all the strengths and become that. Um, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's if we can continue to, uh, to be rooted and grounded in the things that make women such amazing – powerful uh, leaders today and add this bit, um, I don't think anyone could stop us. That's right. That's right. Um, I had asked you before the show about Sheryl Sandberg and her yes. book. And, um, you know, it's 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 out there and it, it has um, its merit in, in, you know, Sheryl's view, obviously, is that women really just should not be afraid to, to raise their hand and speak up in the boardroom. What did you, t and I know you read the book, what yes. was your takeaway from that? Yeah, so I, um, you know, there's been there's been a lot of um, discussion, obviously, about Lean In, and there's there there are folks um, that stand by it and definitely say it's you know the, the the thing, and then there are others that have challenged it. I think for me personally, I I I, I think it's about finding your voice, and and so taking this example of being able to uh, to speak up in the boardroom, I think it's absolutely critical as a woman to consciously decide who you want to be. So it's kind of like the present thing. It's being um, conscious of how you show up. So when you, you know, there might be days that you decide that today's a day that it's important for me to be, you know, wise and, and quiet when warranted, or today might be a day where it's really important for me to raise my hand in the boardroom. And that would be my, my take of it is to be conscious, but should women be afraid to raise their, their, their hand or their voice in the boardroom? 
gosh, no, right? That's not, that's not it. But I think we have to be cognizant. By the way, I think any leader needs to be cognizant as to how they show up at any given setting. And I think the more that we are, again, present of mind and in tune to who we want to be, the better. Um, I think the, um, the other piece, you know, as it relates to, um, the lean in and, um, you know, this, this, this movement that really happened with that book coming out, I think the, the one piece that I, I do that really resonates me is the, the power of women to help each other and to lift each other up. And, and so we have a, a, a saying, and certainly we didn't coin it. It's a, a famous quote from many years ago, but this concept of, of lift as you climb, right? And I think we have an obligation to band together. And so what saddens me more than anything is when women uh, tear each other down as opposed to lift each other up. And we have, we have that power. We control, we control that as women. And I think we should lift each other up. I think we should support each other. And I think when we have the opportunity um, to take women into new roles or expand their, whether it's responsibility or their horizons, we have an obligation to do that. And I think that's a, a big piece of it. I agree with you. I think, you know, the more we become uh, confident in our own abilities is is the more we see women reaching back out. Yes. Because I think that that hesitation to do that comes from insecurity, right? Not wanting to be, you know, looked at perhaps um, on a different level as, as a colleague. Um, but I certainly see today just a huge amount of this women wanting to reach back out to, to other women and help them figure out where they belong and where they can best have impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, um, we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to know what you see as one of the greatest challenges for young people today. Again, you're a mother, you have a 14-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son, and we're seeing a different world today, for sure. sure. Um, when we think about education and kids, there there seems to be uh, – it's, it's very competitive. And I think that kids get a message, uh, perhaps a societal message, of, of having to be perfect in all areas of their life. Um, tell me about some conversations you've had with your kids about them finding their own purpose, resilience, confidence, self-esteem. Yeah, so – I, I would agree, right? And we touched on this um, a little bit in terms of all the, the different, call it devices and things and, and media that our, our children today are struggling with, which, by the way, um, outside of the, the messages that society is sending or parents are sending about competition or schoolwork or you know all of these different pieces of social media feed uh, children's minds in terms of um, how they how they measure up and how they compete. And so, you know, for me, and, and my six-year-old isn't really there yet to have those conversations, but um, in terms of my 14-year-old, uh, yeah, we're certainly navigating that. I think one of the things that I've learned, and I, I, I was told this years ago um, by someone that was ahead of me in terms of raising their children, had ch children that were older than mine, and what I'm realizing is that, you know, the older my daughter gets, um, the more important it is for me to be there and, and to listen. So I think that's a, a big piece of it is to, um, to be present uh, with my daughter and to listen to her navigate all of these different things. And, and then, again, being there as a support system to help her choose who she wants to become, um, because I do think they're very formidable years. And so whether that's, um, you know, managing the schoolwork, the uh, athletics, um, the friends, but again, just really being um, a good listener and a guide for those decisions that that determine is she going to be 
um, this person or, or, or that person. And so um, I think the other piece, too, is is being there, supporting them when they fail just as much mm-hmm. as being there on the sideline when they win. And um, they're both um, they're both important. And letting them fail. Yes. Right? <laughs> not 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 being the helicopter parent and, uh, yes. you know, really sheltering them too much, which I think we have the ability to do that today. Uh, we joke all the time about, you know, kids leave the house today and they're out there with their helmets and their pads and everything. And when we were growing up, you know, we were just kind of um, out there on our own. So I think that's really great yeah. advice, letting them fail. Um, last minute, if, if there's a, a – a piece of advice that you have for our listeners, uh, a woman that perhaps is looking to um, reach her next level at her own company, something that you could leave her with that might uh, give her that boost to, to go for it. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of discussion around women um, always looking at, you know, all the reasons they can't do something. And I, I would say um, to all those women that are looking at, that next role or that next step, um, personally, professionally, why not, right? Why not you? Um, I think that's a lot of what I, I try to coach myself on, which is the uh, why not me? Why can't it be me? And really um, trying to uh, almost change the uh, the dynamic of, of that mindset. So that would be my uh, my advice. Push yourself to think why why not you? That's right. And what's the worst that can happen? Right. Exactly. Always looking at, you know, <laughs> if, if the answer is no, what's the worst thing that can happen? Exactly. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate your coming in and, and sharing your advice and a little bit about yourself. And I wish you continued success at ADP. Thank you so much, Susan. Much appreciated. Thanks. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. Again, be sure to check out our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and now Instagram. We have some wonderful photos of our, our women leaders that join us every week. And be sure to check out our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Have a great week, everyone.